Hey guys, you're chipper and cheery tonight. Me too. I have a good feeling. I think we're gonna get along great. I really do. Hey, turn to your neighbor and say, "You smell good. You smell like sunscreen today." All right. All right, that's enough time. That's enough. Hey, if I do not know you, if I have not met you, my name is Doug Weckenman. I do some teaching stuff, some life group and some website stuff here for young adults, and um, a few other fun facts about me. I love pizza. I love my wife, but not in the same way, you know. I love summer and golf. My favorite color is blue. Golfers, okay. And my favorite animal is tigers. Tigers are sick. And uh, that's pretty much everything you need to know about me. I'm a simpleton, pretty basic guy. And tonight, I just hope to finish off the Welcome Home series in a simple and basic way. I know that uh, Jesse D and Connor G have absolutely crushed it so far with just sort of painting a picture of the DNA that we want here at this ministry, the kind of ministry that says that makes room for and welcomes home people who feel like, like they're on the outside or they're marginalized people on the outside that we want in here. We make room for them at this place. Whether you've known Jesus your entire life or you've never actually met Jesus, it doesn't matter, or anywhere in between, you are welcome in this ministry. You are welcome here on Thursday nights. And, um, here's the question that we get asked all the time by a lot of you, and we ask this question to ourselves a lot of time too. Um, a lot of times too, and, and it goes like this: It's uh, how do you make such a big ministry, or like what's your plan, I guess, to make a big ministry feel a lot smaller and more welcoming and more connected? And we have uh, a lot of answers to that question. We do practical avenues to make that happen. Things like volunteer opportunities or life groups or um, constant events or retreats or conferences and stuff like that. And those things are very beneficial. And for a lot of people, they make a big church feel a lot smaller, but you have to take advantage of them for that, for that to happen. But that's, to be honest with you, that's not a complete answer and that's not a fair answer to that question, in my opinion. Um, we, we think here that the answer to that question, how do you make a big ministry feel a lot smaller and more welcoming and more connected, is this. And it's by, it's by taking our vision of a ministry that makes room for and welcomes in and loves people on the outside, taking that vision and sharing it with you guys over and over and over again until you not only become beneficiaries of that vision, but you become carriers of that vision, if that makes sense. That's the goal, is for you to become vision carriers. The goal is for that, the DNA of welcome home to be instilled in all of our spiritual blood, if that makes sense. And, and and I think if we do that as a collective ministry, we might, we might see this ministry continue to get bigger and bigger and bigger and simultaneously feel smaller and smaller and smaller all at the same time. And so if you're taking notes tonight, this is a super basic title. It goes like this, the DNA of RRYA. It even rhymes for you, kind of. It's just a letter, but... The deoxyribonucleic acid of Red Rocks Young Adults for all of you School of Minds nerds in here. I'm a science nerd too, I'm one of you, so I can say that. The DNA, the DNA of RRYA. John 3.16, anybody heard of that verse? You know the verse that was written by Tim Tebow, John 3.16? He didn't really write it in case you thought he did. John wrote it, that's why it's called John 3.16, but it goes like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, son for whoever, but and that whoever right there is probably the most inclusive word that currently exists. For God so loved the word, 
the, the world. Oh my gosh, I am butchering our most famous and easy verse. I could quote this when I was like four. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, there's that inclusive word, believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That the living God literally said, yeah, I'll give my life on the premise of a whoever. Yeah, I'll subject myself to that kind of pain for whoever. Whoever, whenever, wherever, however. With whatever you've done, whenever and wherever that was, your eternal life can be with God if your faith is in Jesus Christ. That is the most inclusive verse, and that is what pretty much things are based off of here. And so if you've never even given a chance, if you've never even given Jesus a chance, excuse me, just know that you are welcome in this place anytime. If you are in here and you, uh, you would categorize yourself as an atheist or an agnostic, and truth be told, you kind of just think all of us Christians are weird with our smiles and our songs and our moleskin journals, that's okay. <laughs> You too are welcome here anytime, okay? If you're in here and you feel like maybe you've done too much or gone too far for the grace of God and you're drowning or neck deep in sin, I've got wonderful news for you as well. It is impossible to out-sin the grace of God. Jesus said in, in, in Luke chapter 5, verse 32, he says this, For I have come... I have come for who? Not those who are under the impression, the false impression that they are righteous all on their own. I haven't come for them. Who has he come for? I have come for those who know that they are sinners and know that they need to repent. Translation, the church is not a hotel for saints. It's a hospital for those who know that they are broken. And so if you're broken in here, and my hand's up on that, if you have friends who are broken, you, they, everybody, you are welcome in this place anytime. You are welcome in this home anytime. And if you're in here and you've been a Christian for maybe 5, 10, 15 years and you feel like you should be farther along in your faith journey than you currently are, and truth be told, secretly you're kind of embarrassed that you still struggle with a lot of things that you feel like should have been dealt with a long time ago, I've also got good news for you, what Paul writes in Philippians, that he who began the good work in you is the same one who will, not if he will, carry that same work on to completion if you let him. And so you are welcome in, welcome in here too. Everybody is welcome. Welcome here with whatever you've done, wherever you've been, however you've sinned, that might be a part of your story, but that is not who you are and that is not your identity, at least according to God and quite frankly, his opinion is the only opinion that matters. And on the flip side of that, even if you've been a Christian for a while, all the good stuff that maybe you've done, that mission trip that you went on or that ministry that you've been a part of, that place, that area that you've been volunteering for this many years, that also might be a part of your story, but that is not who you are and that is not your identity, once again, according to the only opinion that matters, which is God's. And so I'm hoping that this just kind of frees you up and gives you peace tonight, that I've got my sin, you've got your sin, and it probably manifests itself in a different way for me than it does for you or does for the person that's sitting next to you, but the, but the sin is still rooted. It's a symptom of something that's rooted, and it's the same for all of us. It's, a, it's stemming from a broken, sinful human heart, which we all have, and so sin is the great equalizer. We are all on the same team, all on the same bus, in the same boat. Sin is the great equalizer, but Jesus Christ is the great redeemer, and because of that, everybody is welcome here, period, always, period. I don't know if anybody in here was a late bloomer in high school. Anybody? I know I was, when I say late bloomer, I was this tall until the summer before my senior year of high school, okay? And I'm not kidding. And that's cute now, you know? Some guys peak when they're like 12. 
I was not one of those guys. And, and I'm glad about that now, but not when you're a freshman in high school and you're 311 and three quarters and 100 pounds of solid skin and bone trying to go out for the basketball team. I remember being a freshman, showing up for the first day of basketball tryouts, and I'm suddenly there with like juniors and seniors in high school. And when you're a freshman, they might as well be 35-year-old men to you. Do you remember that feeling? You're like, you have facial hair. I don't even have armpit hair. Just walking around like this, hoping nobody like notices and makes fun of you. You're like, I I'm not even at a stage in my life yet where I need to wear deodorant because I've never sweated before. That's just never happened to me. And all of a sudden, like, put one of those guys next to my dad and I would have been like, I don't know which one of you are, is older. Like, I'm, I'm trying out for a basketball team with guys who are like my dad right now. Like, and I'm a freshman. This isn't fair. Like, when you were just in middle school and you were a big, bad eighth grader, kind of walking the halls of middle school, making fun of all the quote-unquote sevies. That's what we called them, the seventh graders. And all they did was be born just a few months after you were, and you, you determined that that warranted that they should be verbally attacked every single day. Stupid seventh graders. An embarrassment to our middle school. Probably can't even add improper fractions. Come talk to me when you can tell me the capital of Florida. It's not Orlando, it's Tallahassee. You stupid seventh grade. Like, I wish I could go back and punch eighth grade me in the face because that would have done the world a lot of good. But then I, I graduated middle school and went to high school and I got what I had coming to me, okay? I was a freshman trying out for the basketball team and internally I knew that I was Kobe Bryant but externally, 311 and three quarters, 100 pounds of solid skin and bone and it's not looking good for little Doug as a ninth grader, okay? But guys, here's the moral of the story. I worked hard. I out-hustled everybody on the court I showed up every single day. I did push-ups every night and then drank a protein shake before I went to bed and I dreamed sweet basketball dreams all night and then got up at the crack of dawn and stretched and went on a run and prepared myself for the next day of basketball tryouts. And do you know what happened? You guys, I did it. I made it as the captain of the freshman B basketball team and there was no C team. There was no C team. I stand in front of you right now, a former captain of the Highlands Ranch High School freshman B basketball team of 2004. How do you like them apples? You like that? There were no requirements to be on this team. You would figure that out if you showed up to one of our practices. You're like, that kid can't dribble. How is he on the team? You didn't have to know how to dribble to be on this basketball team. No requirements. We were just a, a ragtag crew like the, the Sandlot, except with all that talent. We were without that. But on the worst basketball team at my high school, I made some of my best friends, and I led our crew to a 1-17 season. You heard me right. We lost every single game except for one game, and it was against the C team for some school who had four healthy kids and then one kid who had a broken leg and was on crutches and just crutched around on the court the entire game so that we could say it was five by five, five on five, and then even then we just barely beat them, okay? But man, it, it, like, it must have been like the greatest feat in the history of sports. At least that's what it felt like to me. And, um, and, now, and uh, now I'm being genuine. Since the tone shift, I'm trying to not laugh now. <laughs> I, uh, on that team, I, like, I have nothing but fond memories of that year because 
because of my friends on the team. Like, they were my best friends, and we, we were united by our common love for basketball. We were family united by a common love, and you might know where I'm going with this. On Thursday nights in this room, what you will find is family united by a common love. And because every single one of us in here, individually, we all have imperfect records. We all struggle. We are all broken in this place, okay? Everybody in here is broken, but we love each other, and we're united over our common bond and our common need and our common love for our Savior, Jesus Christ. In Christianity, there is no A team. There is no B team. There are no tryouts and no qualifications to belong, which is good news for every single one of us, man, because life is challenging and sin is real. But Jesus is just as real, and Jesus promises that he is going to build his church, the kind of church that says, welcome home. Are you struggling? Are you not doing well in your life? Do you need something more than yourself to save yourself? Well, then get in here. There is room for you, and that's the kind of church that Jesus is building, and he's saying that it's going to push back darkness in the world, and the gates of hell are just going to have to stand by and watch because nothing is going to stop it. And we are a part of that, not just those people in here who have their act together, not just the people in here who only struggle with the quote-unquote JV sins, which, by the way, there is no such thing as. Everybody is invited. Everybody can play. Everybody's invited, and everybody can play. There are no qualifications. And you know what? Every young adult in Denver deserves at least the opportunity or the chance to bump into Jesus in this building on a Thursday night. Everybody deserves that chance, just like my B team. No qualifications. If we're going to go back to that metaphor, you don't even have to know how to dribble to be on this team. There's no qualifications to be in here with no matter what it is that you're going through, no matter what you're dealing with, get in here. Welcome home. And that's the kind of DNA that says welcome home to anybody and everybody, that everybody is welcome here, period, always, period. And I want to show you this really quick in Luke chapter 18. If you have your Bibles, go to Luke 18. Um, if you're new to the Bible... Don't have too much pride to go to that table of contents. That's why it's there. Luke 18. Um, this is a story that Jesus is telling, and I'll just kind of set the story real quick. It's about there's two guys in this story that Jesus is about to tell. One guy is a Pharisee. So back before Jesus, what we had was the law. And there were some people who were religious leaders, they were Pharisees, and they were very good at observing and obeying the law, so much so that what would happen oftentimes, pretty much every day, what it seems like from reading the Gospels, is they would, they would take how good they are at the law and they would lord it over other people who weren't as good as they were at behavior modification and sin management. And so that's what we have right here. One guy, is a, is a, he's a Pharisee. That's who he is, and he thinks pretty highly of himself. He thinks he's pretty awesome. And our other guy is a tax collector, a tax man, is what Jesus is going to call him. So back in the day, around Jesus' time, um, God's chosen people, the Jews, were, were being oppressed by the Roman Empire. And that Roman Empire taxed the Jews and used that money that they took from the Jews to oppress them even more. So it was just a really ugly system to be a part of. And what the Roman Empire would do is find people, find Jews who wanted to be like pretty much traitors, and they would use them to go around and collect money from their own people. They would keep some of that money for themselves, and they would give the rest to the Roman Empire so that they could, they could continue to... Um that they could continue to oppress 
their people. And so the, the, the worst of sinners, basically, like Matthew, the guy who wrote the book of Matthew, he was a tax collector before Jesus came along. Remember Zacchaeus, the wee little man? The wee little man was he. He was also a tax collector before Jesus came along. And, and this guy that we're about to read about, man, he, he's in a place of brokenness. He knows that he's, he's a sinner. He knows that he's a quote-unquote traitor. He knows that nobody likes him. He, he's probably under the impression that God is not too pleased with him. He doesn't need other people to tell him how bad of a job he's doing in life. I promise you this guy is his own worst critic. I promise you. So the Pharisee and the tax collector, and here we go. This is Luke 18, starting in verse 9. He told his next story, that's Jesus. Jesus told his next story to some who were complacently pleased with themselves over their moral performance. That's probably Pharisees that he's telling the story to, people who are really good at sin management, quote unquote, and looked down their noses at the common people, the peasants, common people. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and one a tax man. Okay, so it was common for people who lived in Jerusalem to go to the temple to pray because that was the center of worship and prayer for um, an entire people group. And so that's where they would go. But the thing about the temple is that the, uh, the, the DNA of it was not that of, hey, welcome home. It was not a, hey, do you need help? Are you doing bad? Okay, get in here. It was much more of, um, hey, about you, how about you fix yourself up first? Clean up your life a little bit, and then you can come in here and pray. And then we can maybe talk about you getting into the temple. So that's what we're dealing with right here. The Pharisee posed and prayed like this. Oh, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. I'm like, what? Seriously? Oh, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Robbers, crooks, adulterers, or heaven forbid, like this tax man right here. The first time I read that, I was like, no, he didn't just do that. There's no way that he just did that. Like, what a jerk. Like, even if part of that might be true, you're going to say it out loud in front of this guy and mask it as a prayer? Like, the self-righteousness just, like, stinks. Like, literally, I'm reading it in my Bible, and I'm like, what smells so bad right now? Oh, it's these two verses about this Pharisee making fun of this other tax man who's on his knees praying right next to him. And that brings me to this point right here. Self-righteousness is stinky. <laughs> and I use that because the other words I want to use I can't in church. Self-righteousness is stinky. And I know it's exaggerated. It's exaggerated in this. I mean, let me do this. Let me, let me just do this. It'd be like this. It'd be like, say tomorrow morning, I came in here an hour before work, and I, I, I like walked through these doors, I plugged my phone into the system, put on some quiet worship music, came right up here to the front, got on my knees, and prayed for Connor, because Connor needs it, right? So I'm coming in here an hour before work, and I'm just like, God, be with Connor, blah, 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 like I do this most mornings, you know? And then Connor... Out of nowhere, he just comes bursting through the door in the back, walks over to my phone, unplugs it, and chucks it across the room, plugs his in, and he's playing that song from the Beats by Dre commercial, the, uh, I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. And he walks up to the front, and he stands next to me while I'm kneeling over here, and he goes, God, thank you that I am not like Doug. This is based on a true story, by the way. I'm kidding. It's not. It's not. Connor, I'm sorry. God, thank you that I am not like Doug. Thank you, God, for how awesome you have made me. And Jesus, please be with Doug. Amen. And he walks out and leaves the music on as his walkout song. <laughs> like, that sounds ridiculous. That's not based on a true story, I promise you. But 
sounds so ridiculous, but it's the exact same thing as what we're reading about this guy right here, which is why self-righteousness is stinky. It is stinky. It sucks, and it's exaggerated in this story, and just know that self-righteousness does not start like that. Self-righteousness starts, and this is a warning, I think, from Jesus to those of us who are in church because we're all susceptible to self-righteousness. We're all susceptible to this, and it starts with just the smallest, the smallest little whisper, the smallest little seed of like, you know, been doing this church thing for a while, I kind of got it down, and I can't really say the same thing about other people in my row. You know, I, I know quite a bit about, about the Bible. I don't think anybody else in here maybe knows as much as, as I do. And you don't say this out loud like the Pharisee guy did, but it's in here. It's in here. Quiet little thoughts. I sure wish Jenny or Bob was here to hear this because, man, they really need, you know? You ever thought that? This is for somebody else? Man, I haven't struggled with drinking or lust for a while, for a few months now. That's more than I can say about the rest of the guys that I live with, the rest of the guys in my, you know, and not saying it, but just thinking it in here. And it starts with the smallest seeds. And um, for those of us in here who are good at behavior modification and cleaning up our, our acts and behaving, um, every once in a while, man, we, we, we tend to start to become self-righteous about it, oftentimes without even knowing that it's happening. And I get it, man. I've been there. I have to check myself on it all the time. I have friends that I ask, hey, point out to me if I'm ever being self-righteous because oftentimes it creeps in through the blind spots, which by definition are places in your life that you cannot see. And that's the danger of self-righteousness is it blinds you to the very fact that you actually are being self-righteous, which is why nobody in this room thinks I'm talking to them right now. It blinds you to the very fact that you were actually self-righteous. And if you've ever experienced it, you know this. Self-righteous people are not free. You're not free. You become self-righteous and you, be you tend to become very bitter and quietly angry. You become very good at critiquing the efforts of others. And you, you, you put your successes and strengths up next to somebody else's failures and weaknesses. And guess what? Congratulations, you win and you become miserable to be around. And pretty soon you've shifted so far away from what the gospel of Jesus Christ is actually all about. And this is possible for any single person in this room, myself included. And we never say that stuff out loud, but man, be careful. We start to think, hey, God, thank you that I'm not like my brother or my mom or my cousin or the people that I'm sitting next to. God, thank you. Be careful. There's no A and B team when it comes to Christianity. There is no freedom in this fictitious Christian hierarchy that we build up. So stay away from it because it's counter, it's counter to the gospel. It's counter gospel. Romans 10 would say this, that when you seek to establish your own righteousness, you don't subject yourself to God's righteousness, which is the righteousness that you actually need. And you build up your own righteousness and put your faith and your hope and your trust in that. And it's actually not enough because you need the righteousness of somebody else. Jesus keeps going. Meanwhile, the tax man slumped in the shadows. I love this guy. His face in his hands, not daring to look up, said, God, give me mercy. Forgive me, a sinner. So this is the man who knew how much he needed God's mercy. He knew how desperate he was for divine love, knew he was completely screwed without the grace of God. Like he knew it. He came in, dropped to his knees, and he said, I, I know. I know what's in here. 
and I know how it's played out in my life out there. And I know, like God, I don't know what you must be thinking right now, but man, I need your mercy. And, and I love this guy because he's slumped down. He's probably got his face buried in his hands, just crying, crying out for mercy from God. And that's the position or the posture that should be at the beginning and end of every faith journey for every single Christian. Because Romans 3, 22 through 23 says this, righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Translation, no A team, no B team. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And not just a little bit short, but like a lot a bit short of the glory of God. Like the glory, like there, there's no possible way for us to make up for that difference, not even close on our own. So imagine our two guys from this story, the Pharisee and the tax man, imagine they get transported through time to 2016 to Manhattan and they're standing right in front of the Empire State Building. And I'm speaking of just physical stature right here. It doesn't matter who's taller in that moment between these two guys. They are both unimpressive standing next to that 98 story building. Both of them very, very unimpressive. Not, not a chance that they're somehow going to make up for that difference. And in that, in this story, metaphorically, that's what I'm talking about with how far short we have fallen from the glory of God. We are not making up for that, okay? So now imagine the Pharisee walks across the street to a Walgreens on the corner. I'm just assuming there has to be a Walgreens on the corner across the street from the Empire State Building because they're everywhere on every corner. And he walks in and he buys like a three-foot step ladder and he comes back out sets it up next to the tax man, walks up it and goes, God, thank you that I am so much closer to the top of this building than this tax man is right now. Thank you, God, that I am so much closer to making up this difference than the guy standing next to me is currently. And if you were like observing this from across the street, you'd be like on the floor laughing, not just because of the ridiculousness of this scenario, but because you'd be like, dude, what are you talking about? Like, you've got a three-foot stepladder that's all that you've got. You, like from the top of that building, both of you guys still look like ants looking down. You're not any closer than you were. And you're trying to build this up and do this yourself, and that's us trying to build up our righteousness underneath us to try to somehow make up for this gap of how far short of the glory of God that we have fallen, and it's a pathetic attempt because of that. Like, that's what it looks like. And he's next to this tax man saying, God, thank you that I'm so much closer. And you're like, that's the most ridiculous thing I have ever heard. You're on a three-foot step ladder. In this story, in this metaphor, Jesus is the elevator. Use him. Go to the top that way. And by the way, it's free. It costs you nothing, but you're not going to stand a chance to get there with the way that you're going. So just knock it off. Jesus commented, this tax man, not the Pharisee, the tax man went home, made right with God that night. If you walk around with your nose in the air, you're going to end up flat on your face. But if you're content to be simply yourself, you will become more than yourself. I love that. If you're content to simply be yourself, you will become more than yourself. If you're content to simply just be you, you will become more than you, not through your own righteousness, but you're content to be you, flaws in all, knowing like the tax man, God, I can't do it without you. You do something special through me. You get me the rest of the way there to the glory of God, and he will. He'll do something special with you if you're content to simply be you. Which brings me to this point right here. So come as you are. And Ben, you guys can get back out here. Come as you are. If that's true, 
than just come as you are with your flaws and everything. In a day and age when everybody pretty much in the entire world to some extent is putting on a show for everybody else and afraid to be found out by everybody else and doesn't want their struggles to be known as bad as they really are in reality and they don't want that to, like everybody's putting on a show to some extent and, and social media is just the, the obvious example of that that I can use and I'm not even gonna do that but it seems like even in church, people are afraid to be themselves, afraid that other people are gonna find out your flaws and maybe it's because we're afraid of being judged by other people because churches historically have been notorious for judging other people but not in a welcome home kind of church. Can I make an argument that church, if there's any place that you should be able just to come as you are, flaws and all, and be yourself, it's the church, especially here on Thursday nights. Always, that includes you. Do not be afraid of your flaws. You, you know what your flaws are to other people around you? Your flaws, if, if you are finally brave enough just to, to show them to the people that you're closest to in your life, your flaw is permission for somebody else to go, thank you, God, I'm not the only one. I'm not the, like, that's what your flaws are. Your flaws are a chance for Jesus to show off a little bit at how easy he, it is for him to redeem you from those flaws and permission for somebody else in your life to go, oh my gosh, I am not the only one. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for saying that. Even Paul, the apostle Paul, the golden boy of Christianity, the guy who wrote like half of the New Testament, he, he, he was not afraid to show his flaws. I picture him writing the Bible and he probably knew that this was gonna be, I mean, he didn't know about the New York Times bestseller list, but that the Bible would be number one on that and it would be pretty much in every home in most countries in the world. But he probably had some kind of idea that millions, maybe billions of people are gonna be reading this. Should I really be honest about my flaws? And for him, no brainer. Absolutely. Absolutely. He says this in Romans chapter 7, and I love this, starting in verse 15. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Anybody else? Like, this is, this is so comforting to me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do, that's what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin living in me that does it. Paul is, is, is saying two simple words here. He's saying, oh, you struggle? Me too. Me too. Oh, you need a savior? Welcome to planet Earth. Me too. And I heard Stephen Furtick say this, like, in our ministries, um, both per in our personal ministries as well as this collective ministry um, of Red Rocks Young Adults and this group of people that wants to see God continue to do incredible things through our generation in this city, that we are going to be most effective when we approach those on the outside, not with the words, you should, but rather with the words, me too. Are you struggle? All right, me too. Like our lead pastor, Sean Johnson, would say, we're just a bunch of imperfect, messed up people doing our best to pursue a perfect God. Oh, you're imperfect? Oh, you're messed up? Yeah, me too. Oh, you've been hurt by other people? Oh, you've hurt other people? Okay, me too. Oh, you feel anxious? You've had anxiety attacks? You've gone through seasons of depression? You've gone through seasons of loneliness? Okay, you're not the only one. Me too. Oh, you mean to tell me that you ate an entire box of Lucky Charms in one day last week? Me too. I actually did that. I didn't even, I couldn't stop. What's wrong with me? Me too. 
oh, you're not as far along in your faith journey as you want to be or that you think you should be? Me too. Oh, you, you don't understand everything that's going on in the mind of God and how he orchestrates everything in your life? Me too. Oh, if you're being honest, you'd rather watch five episodes of The Office than pray on a typical Tuesday night? Me too. Me too. Me too. Oh, lust has been a struggle? Comparison, gossip, those things have been a struggle? Me too. Oh, you got fired up after watching Chris Hemsworth and Chris Evans in The Avengers and you, you made a workout plan to look like those guys and you made it two days before you lost motivation and quit? Me too. I've done that two times. Two Avengers movies. Me too. Oh, you need God's help to see yourself through the lenses of which he sees you as perfect and spotless and blameless as ho and holy as a, a son or a daughter that he is so passionately in love with and thinks the world of? Me too. Why? Because you look in the mirror at yourself and you don't see that? Me too. You need his help to see that in yourself? Me too. So do I. And a me too kind of atmosphere is the atmosphere that says everybody is welcome here always. Everybody is welcome here always because we are in this together in the same boat because I've got my sin, you've got your sin. People out there, they've got their sin, but it's all rooted from the same spot in all of us, that broken, sinful human heart. And sin is the great equalizer that brings us all to the same level playing field. But thank God, Jesus Christ is the great redeemer who lifts us up and wraps us in his righteousness, not ours, not our three-foot step ladders, but his elevator to the top, to God's glory. He wraps us in that kind of righteousness righteousness every single morning that is new and that's the kind of church that understands that and says welcome home me too I'm exactly like that would you guys stand up would you guys stand to your feet with me I want to say this um, you're not welcome home here because of how well you did with your faith this past week you are welcome home here because of how well he did with his faith 2,000 years ago you're not welcome home here just because you've happened to, to have gone six months without looking at pornography. I'm proud of you, that's awesome. Keep going, every month that you go, you'll be more and more glad that you got that crap out of your life because it will take you down and it will ruin you. And so keep going, I'm proud of you, but understand this, that is not why you are welcome home here. You are welcome home here because of Jesus and what he has done, period. Oh, and you haven't, you haven't had a quiet time in six months? You haven't even talked to God in 2016? Well, welcome home. Tonight's a perfect night to start. He hasn't gone anywhere, and he's not gonna ask you to explain to him where he's been. He's here. Oh, you've, you had sex before you were married? You're divorced? You've had an abortion? You said the F word 14,000 times in your car in the traffic this week? <laughs> welcome home where you will not be judged by what you have done wrong or what you have done right, but you will be identified by what he has done right for you, your savior. That's what you will find here. Welcome home where I pray that your passions and your purpose collide with each other. Welcome home where you will be, where you will meet your family and be a part of a group of people that love each other, bonded by our common love and need for our Savior, Jesus Christ. Welcome home where every single week we are going to remind you just how good that Savior is at saving you from, from screwing up. Just how good he is at lifting you off of your feet 
wiping the dust off, redeeming you, restoring you, and making grace for, for you new every single morning, not just once at the beginning of your journey, but every single day from this point on to the rest of your life. You will be reminded of that here. Welcome home. Even if you don't know Jesus, if you're here in this room tonight and somebody just dragged you along and you think that this is crazy and the guy on stage is weird, that's okay. I've been, I was you for a long time where I thought the guy on stage was weird. And then one night in randomly in 2008 at CU's campus of all places in Boulder, Colorado, God just lit me up. And I realized then and there that this thing is not a game. This is real. And I wanna start living like it's real. So keep coming. You are welcome here anytime because the rest of us understand there's nothing any of us did to deserve a place in this building. The only thing that separates you from a Christian is a simple faith in Jesus Christ and that's it. That's all that separates you from a Christian. And so keep coming back. You are welcome here. If you're broken and my hands up, if your friends are broken, get them in here, man. I pray, I pray, I pray, I pray that this would be a step to creating that culture and that atmosphere where it's just a, it's such a sweet spirit of, of hospitality and saying welcome home to anybody who walks through that door. That's what we're trying to build here. So tonight, if for some reason you didn't get a high five when you walked in, maybe you didn't want one, but in case you wanted one and you didn't get one, just know we, we're so glad that you're here. We love you and you are so welcome in this place and as this DNA of welcome home continues to permeate every single one of us in our spiritual blood vessels that's going to be the culture that continues to grow here and as our church gets bigger and bigger it will simultaneously feel smaller and smaller and smaller because of that because we understand man it's not it's not our three foot step ladders it's not our righteousness it's not our behavior modification and our sin management or any of our abilities to stop sinning it has nothing to do with that and every Everything to do with the one righteousness that we need and that's Jesus's and that is free which means that there's no room for self-righteousness like I, I continue to think that's just like the saddest concept in the world is an arrogant Christian what are you arrogant about you didn't do anything other than get saved by somebody else because you could not save yourself there's no room for self-righteousness not in this church come as you are because of that if it's his righteousness, then come as you are and give somebody else permission to be themselves as well in doing so. And so that's the, that's the DNA of RRYA. And that's the point of this Welcome Home series. And that's what we're trying to, to pass on. This is a room full of vision carriers, not just ben vision beneficiaries, but vision carriers beyond this room to your roommates, to your friends, to your family. It's our DNA, man, is welcome home. There's plenty of Jesus for everybody and plenty of room to continue to kneel at the foot of the cross, man. That will be, as a Christian, you will never graduate from the posture of kneeling at the foot of the cross and looking around and saying, hey, there's room. There is nothing more beautiful or attractive than the posture of kneeling at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. So can we pray? Will you guys bow your heads with me? Um, this wasn't planned, but sometimes you just feel it. And I feel like there's somebody in the room, maybe more than one person in the room, who your life needs to change forever tonight. You've been hearing about this Jesus guy. To use the story, you've been hearing about this elevator, and it's free, and it sounds much better than what you've been trying to do on your own. And understand that it is free. And God doesn't need you 
But I promise you, and I say this with my whole heart, man, does he want you. And tonight your life could change forever. And I'm not talking about religion like the Pharisee from our story. I'm talking about a place of surrender like the tax man from our story and understanding that Christianity is not a list of to-dos and, and, and do-nots. It's a relationship with your creator. You can know the God of the universe who created you. And, and I can't get off the stage without inviting you to at least have an opportunity to do that tonight. So on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and understand that raising your hand is not what saves you. Praying a prayer is not what saves you. You, like John 3.16 said, you putting your faith in Jesus Christ is what saves you. I just believe, man, that when you show it on the outside, it's an outward expression of what is happening internally. It just seems to make it so much more real. And Jesus says that we, we can, if we confess it with our tongues and our mouths which is an external action, then beautiful things happen and he comes into our lives. And so this is an opportunity for you to know Jesus Christ and have a relationship with him and not only get heaven forever, but have him in the here and now because he is here now. And so if you want that, one, two, three, just high and proud, I promise you, don't be embarrassed. Look at the company that you're around. There is no reason to be embarrassed about this decision. This is the coolest thing ever. If you're in the family and other people join, that's the coolest thing ever. Congratulations. Congratulations, you guys, that I have no words. Can we give them a round of applause, guys? Congratulations does not do justice to what just happened for you. And uh, this was not a journey that you're meant to do by yourself. And so I would just say, don't leave here without talking to somebody or a friend you can come to Wyatt Connect and we can give you a Bible and a book that our pastor Sean wrote about what the heck do I do now that I'm a Christian. And it's really actually helpful. It really, really is. And so please don't leave without doing that tonight. But God is yours. God is yours, just know that. And for the rest of you in here, God, I just pray over my friends in this room. I pray over this ministry full of people, God, every single one of them you are so proud of, every single one of us with our flaws that you know about, but that you've loved and you've redeemed despite those flaws. God, you don't care. You don't care about our imperfections in this room. Even the imperfections that took place last night, you don't care. Your grace is just that good. And I pray that people in here would feel that. I pray that you would make my friends excited about having the DNA that says welcome home in their spiritual blood. To be vision carriers to a, a city that's full of thousands of young adults out there right now who also don't know you and are desperately looking for something. Let's get them in here, God. Use this crew to get them in here, God. And I pray for just the spirit of hospitality and a spirit of welcome, just to be so sweet and so thick and just to be the air that we breathe in our church, God. We love you so much. And God, I, I'm, I'm personally excited to sing some songs to you tonight, God. This is for your glory. Thank you for your free elevator, Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray all of these things, amen.